Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Good morning. Morning. It is a... Uh, Good morning, class. We've, we've done it before, but a rare morning podcast. We got our Bloody yes. Marys. I, I will say... It work. I know we're not sponsored by a vodka company. So while I did make a Bloody Mary, I seriously consider about it. I seriously consider buying the Clamato juice to make a Michelada. Mm. But you know, I figure it might be a little too early for beer. I'll be cracking some Sierra Nevadas later today though. We've got some got some basketball games to watch, so Yes, we do. Um oh I did see that Sierra Nevada's uh their strange beast kombucha line now has a canned mimosa. Mm. So that would have come in handy today. I'm very intrigued by that. Wow. Yes, I am as well. Uh, I also, I love the beer mosa. Beer mosa is great. I guess that is like a Michelada, right? Probably a little uh, bit different. No, beer mosa is just... Uh, oh, beer mosa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, orange juice and beer. I'll fuck with that. Okay. Which is also kind of a brass monkey, just not malt liquor. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty of bodegas right around, right outside of my... Uh, my apartment here. I mean, I'm sure we could find some malt liquor if we needed to. Uh, um, I do uh, want to, before we dive in, uh, just thank everybody who's been buying merch. Yeah. Uh, our new our new uh, merch store is open at ywhpod.com. People have been buying t-shirts and hats. Uh, I'm excited to see everybody sporting their gear. It all, it all came out really nicely. It all looks great. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited. All right. I want to jump right in. I'm just going to play the song off the bat oh. today, all right? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's Here do we it. go. Uh, is this the song? This is the song? Yes. Do you know of the course song? I know this song. <laughs> all right, I'm absolutely joking. It's an April Fool's joke. We are not covering I Will Always Love You. It's one of the greatest songs of it all is, time. But the it story would definitely is not great. fit the on this podcast. Great. It is great. It is April 1st. That is true. I think I, I was like, is this going to be think... like a remix or like, that's why I was pausing. Like... <laughs> no, as uh, I think maybe as we record hundreds more episodes and we need to <laughs> kind of just go to just telling stories with great stories, we'll get there. No, but today, for real, um, we are doing this song. And if you thought putting on the Ritz was weird, you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk. Well, you left me anyhow, and then the days got worse. Do I know this song? So you see, I've gone completely I don't think you do. out of my mind. They're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming this, to I mean, take this me is away, bizarre. Oh, this is to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. And this I'll is be disconcerting. happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me away, haha. You thought it was a joke, and so you laughed. You laughed. Is there I had said that losing you more to the song? My lip. Right? You know you laugh. I heard you laugh. That, that is today's is there, song. Is there more uh, to the song? Is there, a, is there like a chorus? or? Nope. Nope. There's no melody. There's no chorus. Uh, it's definitely going to be one of the stranger songs I think we ever talk about. Wow. That was, that was a ride. So uh, not to bury the, the lead here, but this is the first song that I've covered that was inspired by an obituary. <laughs> Shout out to a friend and Longtime pod listener Jonathan, who has gotten me more interested in reading obituaries oh, lately. I thought, I thought we had a listener pass away. No, for no, a second there. Um, our numbers have just been going up and up, so I assume everyone is still alive and still <laughs> listening. Um, but uh, yeah, I was reading the New York Times uh, two weekends ago, or last weekend maybe, and there was an obituary for Jerry Samuels, who goes by Napoleon the Fourteenth, and okay. Like the title of the obituary was essentially like, you know, 
unlikely hit song writer dies oh wow and you're like it, it piqued my interest well, of course it did it's like oh that's the name of our that's that's the theme of our podcast yes it is so this song is called they're coming to take me away haha <laughs> and the haha is in the actual title wow uh, but that... let's take a step back before we jump fully into the well, song. before we jump fully into the song i do want to say this is the first episode that's inspired by an obituary but we did have a song that was inspired by an obituary tom's diner oh that's true oh wow yeah, yeah. in new york times it was a new york times obituary it was yeah. oh look at that look at that new sponsor <laughs> new york times uh, they uh, might buy us at some point just the obituary the last two pages of the new york times weekend section that's our, our new sponsor <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by yeah. new york times obituaries <laughs> <laughs> hey man Podcast, uh, it's a, it's a bleak year for podcast. Any other money we can get. <laughs> so Napoleon the Fourteenth, real name as I mentioned, Jerry Samuels, was born in 1938 in New York, New York. He was raised in the Bronx, and he started playing piano when he was only three years old. He played piano and wrote songs throughout his childhood and into his teen years. Uh, and even when he was a teenager, he began shopping songs to publishers at the time. And his first big break was at the age of 15 when he wrote wow. To Every Girl, To Every Boy, which was recorded by his childhood idol, Johnny Ray, in 1954. Mm. Okay. 1950s crooner jam. Lovely. Yeah. He wrote this when he was 15? Yeah. And like he loved Johnny Ray growing That's up. Incredible. I listened to a couple of interviews. He was like a, like a childhood idol of his. So That's very really cool. cool. So a couple years later in 19... 19- 56, Jerry started his own recording career when he cut the single Puppy Love and Chosen Few for RCA Big Records. There goes the girl. You should mention that he's going by Jerry Samuels at this point. Very 1950s. Very. Uh, Puppy Love got a write up in Billboard in 1956. Said Jerry Samuels is quite effective with his RB flavored item. Lyric, this is where it gets a little cut off. I think it says lyric. Lyric something maybe is in the teenage love groove and likely to get good acceptance. We like some good acceptance. After his modest singing career, uh, Jerry began working as an engineer for Associated Recording Studios in New York City while also continuing to write songs. He even started his own publishing company. And one of the most notable songs that he wrote at the time was The Shelter of Your Arms, which became a big hit for Sammy Davis Jr. A little morning, Sammy. Yeah. Love it. In this cold world, no matter oh, where this is I fun. This is like very uh, exotica sounding. Very like theatrical almost. Yeah. Yeah, this could be in like South Pacific. Sammy, sounds great. Oh, sounds great, yeah. When he first played this song for others at the recording studio before shopping it out, fellow associated recording colleague and legendary composer, Burt Bacharach. Oh, wow. Also recently passed. Yeah, he said, it's a, it's a good song, but it's a show tune. It won't be a hit. But when it was a hit, he sheepishly walked back into Jerry's studio and said, I guess I was wrong. Oh, Burt. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it is nice. So in addition to recording music, uh, acts at the Associated Recording Studios. The studio was also doing a lot of work for ad agencies at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oddly enough, the work that Jerry did on ads would lead to one of the reasons that the song is so unique, and perhaps why it's a hit. There are listeners who are producers and audio engineers will love how detailed we are, we're about to get. Because <laughs> Jerry details the process of how the song came to be in one interview, and he said, we were doing 60-second spots. Actually, a 60-second spot is really 59 seconds. The spot had to come in at exactly 59 seconds. So if it was recorded and it came in a little slow or a little fast, we used a device called a VFO. Now, VFO is a variable frequency oscillator. And Jerry goes on to say, it connected directly to the hysteresis motor of the machine. That is the motor that controls the speed of the capstan. We're talking about 15-inch per second analog tape. A hysteresis motor works on 60 hertz. If you want to change the speed, 
you can't change the wattage because it'll stop. If you have to change the hertz, the only way you can do that is through a VFO. So the VFO mm. is connected to the hysteresis motor. So if you move it from 60 to 59, 58, 57, it slows down. If you move it up, it speeds up. So they had the VFO rigged only to mono machines. But Jerry mm. says, I saw something. I realized that if I hooked it up to a four track, you could do things that weren't done before. I would be able to raise or lower the pitch of a voice without changing the tempo by hooking it up to that four track machine. Interesting. So that's how he figured out how to modulate his voice, which was super innovative at the time. The only other person who was doing this was Ross Bagdasarian, who created the Chipmunks. And to say. he was using a much more simplified method. So this was actually the first time that this method was discovered and used. I was about to ask if uh, Napoleon here was responsible for the chipmunks. <laughs> oh, that'd be wild, right? I think I, you know, we should probably stop because I want you to hear the full song before we get too into. Yeah, I was gonna say the I, details. I feel, I feel like I need to hear it again. It's the first song that I I don't know. It's pretty awesome. Thirty-seven episodes. So I don't think we need to talk too much about the video. I don't know. Well, it's not a. It seems like this video is official, but I don't think it would have been made, obviously, in the 60s. Right. So, interesting. it's weird. I need to imagine. But not. It's just like one frame. Ah, this might be from the 60s. They might have, like, just shown this on TV or something. Potentially, yeah. While there weren't music videos, you know, until, like, Black Sabbath was making them, there were still, like, songs that were... Had visual components for whatever. Right. And this was re-released. So this this came out in 1966. It was re-released in 1973. Oh, that was potentially then, because it actually looks like some of those trippy early videos. Wow, this is really off-putting. The video makes it even worse. Right? You know you laughed. I heard you laugh. You laughed, you laughed, and laughed, and then you left. But now you know I'm utterly mad. And the coming to take me away. He's quite the uh, quite the voice actor. Yeah. Take me away, Very charismatic. Happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes and they're coming to take me away. I cooked your food, I cleaned your house, and this is how you pay me back for all... Oh, wow, we've gotten into some other territory here. <laughs> well, you just wait, they'll find you yet, and when they do, they'll put you in the ASPCA, you mean It's about a dog? <laughs> yes, it is. They're coming to take me away. Nice pickup. They're coming to take me away. Well, he said he'll take the dog to the ASPCA, and I... Clean up after you and feed you. So we'll probably put more of the song than we usually do in the podcast. But for those who, yeah, I, I, everyone should pause, listen to the song, and then come back. Yeah, it's just him speaking over a tambourine, a drum, snare drum, and mm-hmm. sirens that are played through this BFO as well. And you picked up on it. It is about a dog, essentially, uh, which we will we will talk about in just a second here. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about how Jerry came to think of this song. Um, essentially, what he said, he was said, quote, quote, song. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jerry said, I was sitting in a nice, easy chair one night. It had a little vibrator on it, and I was stoned because I loved to smoke grass. What popped into my head a little jazz was the old tune, The Campbells Are Coming. Oh, yeah, of course. The classic, like, the yeah. pipe and drum. Oh, Stone Cold Classic. <laughs> he goes on to say that I didn't know the title, but I'll tell you who did. My friend Barry Henson. He's Dr. Demento. Oh. We've known each other for many, many years. I hummed it to him, and he said, yeah. That's the Campbells are coming. And I thought, da 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 They're coming to take me away. Ha ha. And there it was. And by understanding what I could do with that piece of equipment, I wrote this thing. So I think essentially he figured up this VFO technology, a way to modulate the voice, realized that it was creepy and a bit chaotic. So he wrote lyrics to kind of fit that mood. And the doc is back in. Dr. Demento. 
Hello there. Yeah, when did we talk Dr. about him for? Uh, Monster Man? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. he came up again with another one. He's, I mean, he honestly is responsible for making a number of strange songs. Yeah, he was super into to novelty songs. He was a DJ with a degree in ethnomusicology. So that's the study of music from the cultural and social aspects of the people who make it. And he loved novelty songs. He's credited with helping Weird Al get national yep. attention. Uh, and he received his nickname. I don't think we've talked about this. He received his nickname while working at a station in Pasadena, California. Where he played the song Transfusion by Nervous Norvis. And another DJ, the obscene Steve Clean, <laughs> said that Hansen had to be demented to play it, and the name stuck. This is Transfusion by Nervous Norvis. Down the highway doing oh, wow. I'm a twin pipe popper and I'm feeling so the song is essentially about getting in car accidents and getting blood transfusions. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Yeah, the 50s were fucking weird. <laughs> Loved it. So, describing the recording process, Jerry said that the drums came first. He said, I brought a friend of mine into the studio. I had the studio at night, every night. After everybody else went home, I would stay there and sleep in the waiting room on the bench. I brought my friend in, and he wasn't the greatest drummer in the world. He went on to become a multimillionaire in another business, but he couldn't play the drums. He only could record a seven-second loop. He was able to do it on time for seven seconds, and that's it. So we recorded the loop, and then we copied it. That's why the thing is so perfect in the rhythm, because what you're hearing is a drum loop. We didn't have the machines that we have these days that sound so real. We had to use a drum. Uh, did we find out who the drummer is and why he's a multimillionaire? I couldn't. I, I ah. searched far and wide. But if anyone's better at ChatGPT and can figure it out for us, uh, please let me know. I, I really want to know. Did you try it on ChatGPT? <laughs> Who is <Man>. the drummer for? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, somebody, somebody knows out there. So Jerry went on to describe the rest of the recording process, uh, which, again, might be a little bit in the weeds. But I think it's interesting, especially given yeah, the rudimentary technology back in the 60s. Yeah. So he said the next thing was the siren. And that had to be overdubbed also because we rented a hand crank siren for $5. When you awesome. first hear it, you only hear one siren. Then you hear three. Then you hear six. It's all overdubbed. Finally, we, round, we wound up with what was a total of a drum track, a total hand clap track, and a total siren track. Next, we had the fourth and final track. The other tracks are in perfect rhythm at 15 IPS. I go into the studio. My partner's in the control room. And I record the vocal. The only track recording is the vocal. The other tracks are just playing back in my earphones. As we get to the chorus, he begins to take the VFO one notch at a time and turn it down. So I'm hearing chunka 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 chunka, and I'm going. They're coming to take me away, haha! They're coming to take me away, haha! Ho ho! He 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 he! The funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. <laughs> and right there, I run out of breath. We rewind the tape. We punch it in just before time, and I continue to finish the line. When you play that back at 15 IPS, the only thing that happens is the voice raises in pitch. It's mm -hmm. in perfect rhythm because I'm listening to the track. That's how we did it. So pretty interesting, given, again, the technology at the time. I mean, overdubs and punching things in was really hard then. Now it's like, I mean, the program I'm recording this podcast on, I could do that so quickly. But, it, I mean, it was time consuming and you had to be exact. Right, and we're working that, with, like, real tape. That we're yeah, in, actual we're tape. Taping, like, it's yeah. fucking crazy. Wow, he really wanted to make this song. <laughs> he really did. Uh, so given that the song is just Jerry essentially talking over these noises, it's easy to figure out what the song is about, and you picked up on it. While the first three quarters of the song sounds like he's going insane because a loved one is leaving him, he's actually going insane because a dog is leaving him. And that'll give the, the, the album cover gives a little clue to that. It's just as creepy as the song, as you'd imagine. Oh, wow. This is great. <laughs> I love that Ha Ha is in the title. <laughs> absolutely amazing. Uh, so the album wow, cover is, is... is Jerry dressed as Napoleon. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's holding a, a leash. An invisible dog leash. With a dog that is not there and next to a fire hydrant. And he's pointing to the dog like, where is he? <laughs> wow yep. this, is, this 
I would love uh, to see footage of this photo shoot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so in a Song Facts interview, he elaborated on the lyrics. It took me nine months to finish it. I wrote one verse and the chorus, and immediately I realized that I was writing a sick joke. So I said, this is no good. I'll put it away. Three months later, it was still running through my head. I pulled it out again, and I wrote the second verse, and it was an even sicker joke. Finally, about six months after that, I decided I was going to finish it, and I was going to do something that, in the last verse, would throw people off. So I referred to the object, they're coming to take me away, because of you did, I referred to you as the dog. The dog ran away. By doing that, I felt like I was lightening the sickness of the joke, and I probably was, and it probably did some good for me, but that was the reason I went for the afterthought. I mean, again, I don't think there's much thought behind the song. It's just kind of like... He just thinks it's funny. Fun, goofy <laughs> song. Yeah. And then like realize that he had to like make it a little more lighthearted. Right. Well, uh, so pretty I mean, quickly the after recording. Audiences then, I mean, I understand. Yeah. I mean, in 60s, different time. Uh, so pretty quickly after recording, George Lee, an executive at Warner Brothers, heard the track and signed at Jerry immediately. Uh, what? <laughs> I, would love, I would love to know the process. I oh, know. Uh, I mean, I know it's a different time, but. Like, if I received this demo, I'd be like, y'all got to hear this. This is insane. And then not do anything with it. <laughs> oh, 100%. And then right back to people saying that you never actually listen to it. Because le- legally, you're not supposed to. Oh, right. Uh, but I read that the label had asked for him to name the act, presumably because Jerry had a music career earlier, or maybe they just knew it needed to be something off the wall. Uh, however, I also read that Jerry was the one that wanted to use a stage name. So a friend suggested Napoleon, and then another suggested adding Roman numerals. Jerry said, I picked 14th strictly because I liked how it looked next it does to Napoleon. Look cool. His logo so, is neat, and it yeah, has like written, a little martini as well. It does, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, he said that rumors were rampant about the hidden meanings, but there were none, at least not consciously. So in an even funnier piece here, the record was released by Warner Brothers, uh, and it needed a B-side. So rather than record a different song, uh, they just put the B-side of this song backwards. And it's it's entitled it backwards. It's entitled Yahweh M. Eketot. Right. Wow. Uh, and the whole backside of the record has the entire label backwards. So even huh. WB logo is backwards. They were getting weird with it. I like it. I'm not sure if this is creepier or if the real version is creepier. Uh, this is pretty creepy. Yeah. It's creepy straight, though. I think the sirens are actually creepy. They are, yeah. <laughs> it probably won't surprise you that uh, no radio station had any interest in playing this song. Wait, can I just talk about a YouTube comment here? Oh, oh yeah, please. Uh, I need on the backward, oh, the, the B-side, first comment that has a lot of likes is... Use this for years to clear out the last of the customers too drunk to hear and take the last call hits. Love it. <laughs> wow. Genius. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't believe we had a rare morning podcast taping. And we didn't even mention that we were both drinking Dark Matter coffee while we were recording and discussing this song. Uh, mine was a cold brew. I think Theo's might have been a drip hot coffee. Doesn't matter how you make it. Dark Matter coffee is excellent coffee out of chicago illinois you can get free shipping on their website at darkmattercoffee.com use the code wanted a hit cast that's all one word at their website darkmattercoffee.com order some beans order some merch get some coffee paraphernalia whatever you want get free shipping darkmattercoffee.com with wanted a hit cast at checkout let's get back to our morning conversation probably won't surprise you that no radio station had any interest in playing this song uh, yeah. It wasn't until WABC in New York played it during a gag bit. WABC is one of the oldest radio stations dating back to 1921. While it is a talk radio station now, at the time, it was a top 40 station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess the gag was a hit because when it aired, tons of people called in <laughs> wanting to hear it again. <laughs> Can you imagine calling in and asking to hear this again? Though, again, at the time, like, you couldn't just listen to whatever you want, find whatever you want. People were like, that was bizarre. I got to hear it again. 
That makes sense. I think that's what it was. It was like, yeah. what the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> that was so weird. I have to hear it. Doggone uh, it. What was that? Yeah. So WABC is credited with blowing the song up. It's also credited with uh, revealing Jerry's name. DJ Cousin Brucey, real name Bruce Morrow, uh, was the one that eventually revealed his name. But I guess there was a time when nobody knew who Napoleon the 14th was. Oh, and he's wearing a mask on the cover, too. Yeah. So kind of fun. The cover's like got a, kind of like an eyes wide shut thing going on. It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> the entire point of this podcast is to figuring out why a song was a hit. Uh, we'll get into like kind of the the overarching idea later, but it, it sounds like this radio station played it. They were one of the most influential stations in the in the country at the time, and then it caught on like wildfire. We'll get into everything later, but uh, in the New York Times obituary, they said news accounts of the day said that the song sold half a million copies in just five days. After it was played? Yeah. So they, like every radio station picked it up, started playing it. I heard from, I think, one podcast <laughs> that I was listening to said that there was a DJ, I think from either WABC or maybe the sister station here, that played it like eight or ten times in a row and kept introducing what? it as a different song. Like, that was a gag. Like, <laughs> coming up next is, you know, Elvis's new hit. And then it would oh, that is be the song again. That would drive people nuts. And it did. (laughs) Uh, So according to one of the articles I read, (laughs) the song was also racing up the charts across the pond because in London, I read that, I think this is from the the Telegraph, that the Beatles don't usually find it hard work hanging onto the top spot. At the time, Yellow Submarine was number one Mm -hmm. and uh, on the the newspaper chart there in London. Uh, But it goes on to say, but in Derby's top 20 this week, they face tough competition from the Beach Boys, God only knows, and Napoleon the 14th, incredibly sick, we're going <laughs> to take me away, ha 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 ha. <laughs> what, a, what a weird top three. Like, all pretty odd songs. Yeah, but also, you know, two of the greatest songs of all time. And then yeah, the Beach Boys. Yeah, of course. They're oh! Just, they're really... Oh, <laughs> I kid, hey. I kid. That not only knows, actually is one of the it best really songs is. ever made. <laughs> no, but all, all three are, are, are very... Uh, a little bit different for the time. Just kind of strange in their yeah. own ways. Yeah. So, you know I love a side story. Um, so I have one for you. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know where else to put this. So I put this in here. Side quest. Uh, Jerry's manager has some interesting tidbits about him. His manager was named Leonard Stogel. And I mentioned this because Stogel managed many other acts, including Sweat Hog, the Cow Sills, Tommy James, and the Shondles, who originally wrote and performed the Okay, I know that. Up, Shondells. It? It's Shondell. Tom, Tommy James. No, and I didn't Shondells. know that. They were the people yeah. that originally wrote, uh, I think we're alone now. The, the Tiffany Classic. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Lee Michaels. You know what I mean? And most importantly, the reason mm-hmm. why I bring this up was he managed future podcast episode artists, including Sam and the Sham, famous for Wooly Bully, and the World oh, Guardsmen, yeah. who we will cover one holiday season as they gave us the odd Christmas classic, Snoopy vs. the Red Baron. Yes. Now, unfortunately, Sogol died young, and I bring this up because I... He had a wild he roster. Did. A wild <laughs> roster. Um, like a, a rogues yeah. gallery. So he actually, he died on American Airlines Flight 191 which I wasn't familiar with, maybe you know, but it was a crash that happened on May 25th, 1979. It was a flight from Chicago O'Hare to LAX, and during takeoff, the left engine detached from the McConnell Douglas DC-1010 and crashed less than a mile from O'Hare, killing 273 people, making it still the deadliest uh, aviation accident to have occurred in the U.S. Wow, I don't think I knew about that. So, uh, you know, poor Leonard. Yeah, geez, that's sad. So, uh, we'll get to the charts here in a second. Uh, but to jump ahead momentarily, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier as well. Um, once WABC started spinning this record, like I said, it caught on like wildfire. It is one of the fastest chart-climbing songs of all time. It also holds the distinction of being one of the fastest songs to rapidly fall off the chart. Because it may not surprise you that many people 
were offended by the song as it was seen as making a mockery of mental right. illness, which yeah. mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. It yeah. is. Um, the influential Detroit area station, BKLW, among others, stopped playing it after receiving many complaints. Jerry once wrote, those naysayers kept it up. The record rapidly spiraled off the charts. Even the station that was started the craze, <laughs> WABC, and their sister station, WMCA, pulled the song, according to one Billboard article that I found, and it read, Teens picketed WMCA last week, carrying such signs as, We're coming to take WMCA away. Unfair to Napoleon in every way. A plane flying <laughs> a banner over Jones Beach over the weekend was also protesting WMCA's banning of the record. What? However, I should note that in one interview, why were they, why were why were I, people so upset about this? Who knows? I love I, they it, were stands. They were Napoleon stands. They were. I love it. Uh, so Jerry admitted in one interview that nine years before the recording of the song, he himself spent eight months in a mental institution. He said, "We always made fun of our experience. When I did the record, I knew it wouldn't offend mental patients." I would have laughed at it if I had heard it when I was in the hospital. I did see there are a lot of comments on the YouTube video of people saying like, you only find this funny if you've, if you like have experienced mental illness. Yeah. And there's somebody else that says that they, they said it for the ringtone, uh, that plays when their therapist calls. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. Uh, so another Jerry quote, he was quoted saying, it was a hit before it got banned. Once it got banned, it was finished. Sometimes having things get banned make them bigger. Yeah, I think, I mean, potentially in a different world, like where the song would be more easily accessible outside of radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also, like, it sold a lot of copies. Uh, and yeah. Who knows when it those probably run its course. Yeah. <laughs> like, they sold what they were going to sell. So where do you think this ended up on the chart? Uh, what year is it? 1966. All right. So there, the Hot 100 was around. Uh, I mean, it was three in the UK. Five? It was top ten within just three weeks, and it hit number three. It hit number three? It was three here and, uh, and in the UK. So wow. It was, it was three here. It was three on that one derby chart. On the actual UK chart, they went number four. Mm. Went number two in Canada. It did go number one on the Cashbox Top 100 Pop Singles chart, mm-hmm. which at the time was a Billboard competitor. Uh, as I mentioned, in less than a week, 500,000 copies have been purchased, over a million in, in its lifetime. Take Me Away, haha, became the fastest selling record in Warner's history. And unsurprisingly, it is the only Top 40 single to feature the song backwards on the flip side. <laughs> Zero surprise there. So let's talk about. What else was on the charts at the time? Uh, number one was Summer in the City by Eleven Spoonful. Mm. Great song. Mm. Yeah. Number two was Little Red Riding Hood by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Mm. Do you know the song? Also a, a novelty song. Yeah. Definitely a novelty song. It's an actual song. So that's different. <laughs> cool song. Yeah, very cool song. Uh, Come Take Me Away, number three. Number four was Wild Thing, which oh. is, that was coming down from number one, actually. Uh, number five was The Pied Piper by uh, Crispin St. Peter's. Another uh, another novelty yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. Uh, number six was I Saw Her Again, The Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. Number seven was Sunny by uh, Bobby Hebb. Hebb. Oh, dude. So I didn't know about That's him. Good song. Amazing song. Yeah. Uh, I did a quick deep dive on him just because I wasn't familiar. Um, his brother was killed in a in a knife fight in Nashville the day after JFK was shot, and both of these uh, events heavily affected Bobby. And in the aftermath, he started focusing on writing happy and optimistic songs, including this one, "Sunny." And he, yeah. he said, "Quote: All my intentions were just to think of happier times, basically looking for a brighter day because times were at a low tide." After I wrote it, I thought, "Sunny." just might be a different approach to what Johnny Ray was talking about in Just Walking in the Rain. And that's the same Johnny Ray huh. that Jerry idolized yeah. when he was young. Oh, so I thought it was a fun little cool. connection there. Did you know the the Marvin Gaye version of Sonny? Maybe I did. Because, like, 
late sixties, Marvin Gaye did that song, and that's okay. that's definitely the more popular. It's, yeah, it sounded familiar version of the song. Uh, it's kind of like Bobby's version, fairly fairly similar, okay. but you know, it's got that Marvin spin on it. It's a little it, he puts he puts a little more edge on it. Uh, number eight was Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones. Have you heard this mm-hmm. song? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's essentially about uh, wives poker and Valium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a dark one. It is good song. Yeah. And then number nine was uh, "Somewhere My Love" by Ray Conniff and the Singers. Uh, that was the theme to Doctor Shiago. Shivago. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. And then number ten was "Sweet Tea" by Tommy Rowe. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, looking down the list, uh, we got. I'm checking it out. I'm checking out "Sweet Pea" by Tommy Rowe. It's not very good, if I remember it correctly. Not the bash and all of our Tommy Rowe stands out there. I mean, it's it's classic yeah. '60s psychedelic rock. I just think "Sweet Pea" is a dumb nickname, so I didn't like it. <laughs> Here oh, we have "Hanky Panky" by Tommy James and the Chandels. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Stevie Wonder on here. We got the Yardbirds. So had to had to be early was, Stevie yeah. Wonder. Kid Kid Wonder. Uh, so let's talk covers. Um, are there covers? There are. Interesting <laughs> side note about any covers. How or why? Well, since the song has no melody, uh, they weren't Doesn't. able to license it as a song. It is licensed as a lecture intended for oral delivery, which that's so bizarre. Yeah, and also makes it more difficult to cover legally. So, um, uh, yeah, there are some um, other hoops to jump through. So, did did they change that once uh, hip hop started happening <laughs> or talking over a beat? I uh, probably so. Well, I mean, it, it's still you can license out the song, this melody. I guess I don't know what really differentiates depending on what depending on what it is. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of covers. Um, we don't need to go through any of them really, but uh, if you're interested. And you want to know, uh, you can head over to Jerry Samuel's website, which is fucking oh, amazing. Yes. He's got a list of all the songs that he is remotely connected to, which means that these are songs that either he wrote, recorded, and then the subsequent covers of all those songs. So if you scroll down. Oh, Jerry, uh, just making our work easy. Uh, the couple that I will point oh, out. Wow, this website is fantastic. Yeah, it's very much what you want it to be. I would say the most notable cover that we should talk about is... And who also passed away recently? Bismarcky. Oh, wow. So Bismarcky covered the song, and it's cool Biz. because he changed the lyrics, so it's not about mental illness, it's about him. It's like a, almost like a biography. Kind of fun. Biz was so brilliant. Like, totally brilliant to turn this into a rap song. Totally, right? Yes, kind of makes some healthy out of it, too. This sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard this Bismarcky version before. Good? Yeah. It sounds, it sounds familiar. That's great. Uh, there's a rock version by the Butcher Babies. Okay. Kind of fun. Check that out. I would say this version of the song oh, it's like exactly like what you'd imagine. Uh, it's a metal version of the song. It sound like. Yeah, it's like metal. Well, I saw Century Media Records and I was like, oh. Oh my god, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> Man, it's very fitting with the song. This is so it. absurd. Yeah, but the song. <laughs> and lastly, there's a, uh, there's a neurotic... neurotic That's a lot of fiction. views. Uh, there's a neurotic fish version. Neurotic uh, which fish? Which I guess is a, is a DJ of some sort. It's like a, it's a club banger version of the song. You know, one of those many things we're like, do we need this? The answer is no, but we have it. Oh, wow. I mean, at least it has, has an actual, like, baseline. So there is actually not in this one. There is, yeah. Uh, there's a group called Josephine the Ninth, which created a an answer to the song, if you will. Oh. Uh, entitled, I'm happy they took you away. From the dog. Yeah, from the dog's perspective. Okay. You thought I'd be cool, but I just left you anyhow because I knew you were already out of your mind. Wow. I'm happy they took you away. There is another answer song by Teddy and the Daniels called They Took You Away. I'm glad. I'm glad. I feel like I should have known about this song. They took you away. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm not surprised. This one's maybe a little better. 
with the weavers, the birds and trees. You didn't deserve as good as they can be. Yeah. But this like this song inspired so many things. I feel like I should have known it. Well, now you do. Yeah. Now listeners know, and now uh, a lot of kids know too, because there is a kids' corner. Oh yes, the kids' corner. This is from the the countdown kids from their Halloween album. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you Does it get weird at the end? I listen all the way through. Well. Yeah, not nearly as weird as the, it's just, the original version. It's just kids. It's just, <laughs> I, think, I think the kids make it more disconcerting. Maybe so. If we did mix the two together, it'd be real weird. Definitely playing this on Halloween. Trick or treat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Blaring it out front. And we don't have a Weird Al cover, but we may not have Weird Al without Napoleon the Fourteenth, because Weird Al cites Napoleon as a big influence, uh, and they would later become good friends. So wow, uh, I listened to an interview with uh, Napoleon Jerry and his late wife, and or he's a late one, I guess he's still alive. Uh, yeah, his widow, <laughs> widow. There we go. Yeah, uh, they, they talked about like you know going different Weird Al shows, and they're they're very good friends. So so Kinda Napoleon cool. has other songs. He does. Okay, we're about to get there. Um, so where is he now? Well, well if uh, <laughs> if you weren't paying attention earlier. He has, uh, unfortunately, he has left left this planet. He did, in fact, die recently. Uh, but with the success of the coming to take you away, uh, like I said, he signed with Warner Brothers, and uh, Warner Brothers made him record an entire album of mental illness themed songs. Oh no! Oh yes. Oh. Uh, so the <laughs> album is of the same name, and it includes the 60s, many baby. <laughs> it includes many songs. Such as Bats in the Bats Belfry. In my belfry and rain on I mean, my roof. Even my these songs are kind of creative. So this is this is, a, this is a rap song. So this one actually would be good for rap song. Like this, wonder, actually, like it's pretty remarkable that this is this was yes, made when it was because like this qualifies a rap song. Well, you know what? Before we talked honeymoon. about more of Napoleon's not hits. Uh, I forgot to mention. That there is a rap song that this song is uh, sampled. That's and the it, No, from uh, They're Coming to Take Me Away. Uh, it is sampled on uh, probably a couple, but the one that I found was a song called Fire from the Kids See Ghost album, which was a collab between Kanye and Kid Cudi. Uh, I know they're not friends with Kid Cudi. Most friends with Kanye. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's the beat. You'll hear the haha. Yeah. Well, the drums are there for sure. Actually, I forgot to put this in there, but speaking of jukeboxes, uh, there's a quote from Dave Marsh who says that this song was the worst thing to ever be in a jukebox ever. <laughs> uh, which makes me feel like it probably was in a lot of jukeboxes. And can you imagine being in like rock and roll and the song comes on and people be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know this song before this. I feel like if I heard it shooting pole or something, I would. I'd be rather confused. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people would be. Uh, I will say, speaking of Kanye, also, uh, I listened to a couple of interviews with Jerry, and on one of them, he talked about that, that song. And, like, he seemed like such a loving, awesome guy, and, like, he really just wanted everyone to be happy. So he was like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. Like, people can cover my song, people can do whatever they want. He's like, I actually, like, had Kanye called me and asked me to use my song, I would have been like, sure, whatever, I don't give a shit. But because he didn't ask me, he had to pay for it. So like, <laughs> he's like, I made a lot of money off Kanye. But he's like, I totally would have given it away. It's pretty funny. Um, so we, we talked about there's an album. We listened to Bats and Belfry. There's a couple other ones I want you to hear. Uh, there's this one called Split Level Head. This one's kind of fun. Got some cowbell. Oh, got punk rock yeah. song. And so the, the VFO as well. Yeah. Kind of fun. And then, you know, at least we think we leave the ballads out. There's a love song called Photogenic Schizophrenic You. That sounds like it'd be an Elvis Costello song. It does, yeah. Oh, we have some, some nice piano here. Yeah. He's a pretty good singer. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, he had that one great song in the 50s, so yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Though he sounds—he sounds like he's seventy years old. Yeah, seems like a fun guy. 
like all great one-hit wonders, Jerry attempted to strike gold once again, and he recorded a follow-up version of They're Coming to Take Me Away in 1988 entitled They're Coming to Get Me Again, uh-huh. which, uh, as you probably not surprised, didn't get much traction. It already run its course. What's up with his logo with the eye patch? I think he had an eye patch later in life, so that's, he uh, embraced it. I appreciate it. You gotta go back it's to the well, just, it's way give it a too shot. Similar. I bring it up, one, because, like, that's... Well, so the original. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's a funny little anecdote, which I read in one of the obituaries where Jerry recounted a story, and he said, when we recorded the original... Oh, sorry, this is from the actual article. When he recorded the original, he had asked friends to show up at the studio to do the clapping part, but only two did. Wanting a bigger clapping sound, Jerry suggested that they drop their pants and slap their thighs to double the noise. <laughs> they declined. And he and Mr. <laughs> Schnaff ended up, which I think is the engineer, ended up using overdubbing to beef up the sound. But when he recorded the sequel, a dozen clappers turned out. Some were in shorts, he wrote. Others lowered their trousers, but the whole group was slapping their tender thighs in that little studio. <laughs> that is fantastic. So there's that. Uh, apparently, uh, Jerry said that he had only performed once as Napoleon in the full garb, but found the experience humiliating. He said, the first and only time I sang the song in front of a live audience, I felt I was being laughed at. That was very hard for me to take. So I did, I read elsewhere that the label sent other people as the character to perform <laughs> while Jerry continued to work in the studio. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, he did tour the country throughout the early 70s on what Jerry called his Vagabond Troubadour excursion. And during this time, he briefly had a business selling roach clips. <laughs> so okay. from there, he would go on to perform piano in bars and other venues. Uh, including, and most uh, notably, senior citizen centers, which he really grew to love. His son Jason said, he knew all the old standers from George Gershwin to Irving Berlin. They loved him, which made me wonder if he had ever found Putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. did. Uh, because Jerry was booking so many shows at senior citizen centers and small venues himself, he saw the market for others and became an agent booking various performers through the Delaware Valley, which is like the Philly area, PA, mm -hmm. Delaware, New yeah. Jersey. Uh, in 1984, he opened the Jerry Samuels Agency. And according to one article, he booked over 30,000 shows before he retired in 2021. Wow. Apparently, the agency is still running. It's operating under new management. And uh, just like Jerry's website, this one's amazing. So take a look. Yes. So if you yes. live in the Delaware Valley and you're looking for a performer. Yeah. Oh, this is even better. Yeah. This is fantastic. Oh, ventriloquism? I mean, every... Yes. Philadelphia-based local talent agency established in 1984, uh, approaching our 30,000th booking. Wow. Event coverage to the downbeat. Uh, they also provide budget insurance, dissatisfaction remedy, and flu shot verification. Okay. Well, you know what? It is a... They're <laughs> mainly... Agency for senior citizen yeah, homes. So that right, makes, sense. makes sense. Yeah. Wow, yeah. this is awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that. Samuels would live out the rest of his life in Philadelphia. Shout out to Philly. Go Eagles. Uh, and he died from complications of Parkinson's and dementia on March 10th of this year in uh, his own old folks home in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. How old was he? Man, he was old. He was 85. Yeah, he lived a good life. Yeah. Uh, why do you think the song was, was I, honestly it's because that dude decided to put it out at the label that's <laughs> oh, true yeah well, like i'll shout out the warner I, brothers uh, if that guy hadn't done that then that'd be it it would just be some yeah funky, i think funky thing that, clearly that he this, made the gag bit that was played on wabc was the real spark but i think it was just probably so off the wall yeah unique and weird at the time yeah that you just couldn't ignore it. I mean, now there's like so much weird music out there that you can find that, you know, you'd hear that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's weird. Kind of move on. But hearing that at the time, especially on a station that's playing top 40. We've kind of uh, beat this crazy. drum a couple of times, but the song is short. It's only two minutes long. So, hey. <laughs> um, 
it does kind of like again feel like uh old town road where it was such a weird unique song and was so quick two minutes that when you heard it you're like i gotta hear it right over again and i think in the radio world this song probably came on two minutes long followed up by some beach boy song or simon garfunkel whatever and you're like wait wait, wait, what like go back (laughs) (laughs) we need to to hear that again real quick um but such a such a strange song but i like to end the quote so uh this is a quote from jerry's son jason from the philadelphia Inquirer obituary uh and jason said he lectured me countless times that life is too short to work at anything you hate find something you love then find a way to make a living doing it he modeled creativity and entrepreneurship and preached that integrity is your most valuable asset he was one of a kind i don't think there'll ever be one like him so beautiful nice little quote so that's the story of gary samuels napoleon the 14th and they're coming to take me away Ha ha. Wow. Not what I expected. Uh, cause I didn't know it. Yeah. There's no way I could have seen this coming. I did not know this song. No, I didn't. I, but it, it was fun. I, now I do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know where to put this, so I, I don't think this needs to be in the recording, but I want you to hear this. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted to Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more, and it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode, and we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.